The new sponsor for the month of May for both the Shepherd's Crook and the Fruitful and Fearless podcast is Reformation Coffee Company. Reformation Coffee is a small specialty coffee roaster in southwest Missouri that puts time and attention into high-quality, fresh-roasted coffee all to the glory of God. They seek to glorify God and point to His glory through a company that provides coffee to the best of their ability. Their tagline is, Reform Your Coffee Experience, because they want you to know that your coffee can be better. They are also happy to provide a superior alternative to that of the God-hating coffee giants who don't care about you. Right now, they offer three origins of whole bean coffee, Guatemalan, Brazilian, and Ethiopian. They recently started offering five-pound bulk coffee beans for churches. Email them at reformationcoffee at gmail.com for more details. You can visit them at reformationcoffee.com, on Instagram at Reformation Coffee Company, and on Twitter at Reformed Coffee. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. I hope you guys are all doing well today. I'm excited to talk to a couple new friends of mine. And if you remember about a year and a half ago, I had Steve Farrar on the show and we talked about his book, Point Man. We talked about a lot of things regarding men's ministry and pastoral ministry. And I had planned on having Steve back on the show because there is a 30 year re-release of his book, Point Man. But as many of you know, Steve went on to be with the Lord earlier this year And I was watching the memorial service, and this is still fresh for the guys that I'm talking with today, but I'm, I'm wanting to talk to, I wanted to talk to, I was listening to this memorial service. I thought I'm going to reach out to these guys and reached out to John Farrar, which is Steve's oldest son. And and as I was talking to John, he said, well, why don't we get Josh on here as well? So today I'm talking to Steve Farrar's boys, John and Josh Farrar. How are you guys doing today? Doing great. Thanks for having us. Glad to be here. Yeah, well, thanks for coming on. We're going to go ahead and start with prayer, and then I'm just going to pepper you with a lot of questions about your dad, and uh, we're going to get to know you guys a little bit before we do that, but let's first start with some prayer. Father, I thank you for these guys. I thank you for uh, their father and their mother and uh, their sister as well, just the whole family and all that you've done in and through them and all that you continue to do in and through them. I pray this time, this conversation would be a lot of fun. We just have a good time uh, just thinking about all that you've done and all you continue to do through the ministry of their dad. And, and it's a great and glorious thing. We have a, a good men in our life. And I thank you that they got to grow up uh, in their home and just pray that this conversation will be a blessing to everybody that listens in. I pray for the pastors that are listening in, that they would be men that are the same men. They're godly men in public and in private. And uh, you'd help us to be all that you've called us to be. God, I trust you're going to lead this conversation. It's in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Man. All right, fellas. Well, why don't you go ahead and just introduce yourself a little bit? I mean, I did that intro, but why don't you go ahead and uh, jo- uh, John, why don't you go ahead and start and just tell us a little bit about, about yourself and then about sure. your fam- about your family and then what you currently do. Sure. Well, I'm John. I'm Steve's oldest son. So it's Rachel's my older sister and then it's me and then it's Josh. Uh, I'm 41. I've been a firefighter EMT here in uh, Dallas. I'm actually north of Dallas in a town called Denton. And I've been doing, uh, been in the fire service for 15 years. And I have two little boys, Holden and Lucas, eight and five. And uh, me and my wife, Christina, have been married for 10 years. So, very, very and cool. I was fortunate enough, seven minutes from my dad. So, nice. that's kind of cool. Very I, cool. Uh, I stay close to home. So, 
Okay. Gotcha. Well, my sister actually lived in Plano for a little bit. They bought a house in, I guess it was six or seven years ago. And I guess it was the exact right time because they bought it for like $240,000, little ranch that was only like 12 or 1300 square feet and then turned around and sold it for like $340,000 just a couple of years ago. And it must've been in the, in like, you know, exactly the right time. So we spent some time down there and we think we went to, we went to Rose's cafe. I think it was pretty good little Little Tex-Mex place down there. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Okay, well, well Josh, uh, tell us about yourself, man. Yeah, well, I'm a, I, uh, I'm one of the smaller Ferrars, as Ferrar men go. My brother's a lot bigger than me, uh, uh, but we have a lot in common. Uh, I uh, I live in Dallas, have uh, three kids. Uh, my wife and I, Laura, have been married for a similar amount of time, just over 10 years. And uh, I'm not in the fire business, though. I, uh, I'm in writing and education. So I, uh, I do communications for a charter school uh, in Texas called Gray Hearts. And uh, yeah, uh, glad, glad to be here joining you, Jared. Awesome. Okay. Well, thanks guys for that. And for all the listeners, you're going to get a link in the show notes to the new re- the, the re-release of Point Man. And since I, I'm not talking to your dad about it, I'm talking to you guys. I want to talk about the Point Man. I want to talk about your dad and as I was listening to you guys in the memorial, like I said, I know it's fresh. And so I'm thankful for you guys even being, being willing to, to come and, and talk about this. Um, one of the things that stood out in, the, in that um, time, as you guys were just reflecting on your dad's life, is that he was, seems like, the same man everywhere he went. He didn't have church face Steve, uh, work face Steve, home life Steve. He seemed to be just the same guy. And in ministry, as I've worked with pastors over the years, what you find with pastoral failures is you you have guys that just aren't the same man. They don't know how to live out their faith in just everyday life. They don't know how to be men. And here's your dad. And he seemed like he knew how to be himself and, and be the man that God had built him to be everywhere. And even when he was, you know, walking in uh, some sort of, you know, silly behavior, it seemed like he would be quick to repent. So just tell me what it was like growing up in the home of your dad. And is that the case that he was just the same man everywhere he went? Well, yes, in short. Um, yeah. You know, he wasn't a perfect person as you just syndicated. Uh, he didn't just enter into silly behavior. Sometimes it was worse than that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, sometimes he lost his temper. He was, he wasn't a perfect person, but, uh, but he was, but he was, but he was pretty much always the same always the same and extremely consistent. And I think one of the foundations uh, he laid for our family and that really made that possible was his value of truth telling. Hmm. He was utterly committed to the truth at all times. And that was one thing that never slipped, that never changed. And so accountability to truth, uh, uh, an incredible cherishing and holding up of truthfulness uh, was really at the center of our home, and mm. we saw that modeled him every day. You know, we got used to, we got used to him confessing, and this was a theme, uh, a theme that all of us talked about in the memorial service. He was a uh, habitual confessor. He was always taking account of of uh, what he'd just been up to or what he just said in a previous conversation, and if he felt that there was something in what he said that uh, was off in any way, either his tone or his message or what was conveyed or, uh, or his attitude. Uh, the rate at which he followed up was incredible. 
and and one of the one of the places that that happened that we got really used to was in his messages and his sermons when he was mm. preaching um you know uh from the small stuff to you know when we were little kids traveling with dad as he'd go to speak at a, at a at a service filling in for their senior pastor i remember sitting at the front row at church like prestonwood bible place like that and he starts to serve this starts to serve and then realizes he doesn't feel comfortable because on the way to church that morning, he lost his temper in the car because we were late mm, and wow. uh, he lost the yeah, little road rage on the way there. And he'd catch himself in the very beginning of his sermon and just say, listen, my family's in front of me today and I'm sitting here telling you how to live your lives. And uh, they all know that I lost my temper this morning. He mm. could not get through a message like that and then deal with it later. He would deal with it in the moment live. Mm. Uh, mm. And uh, I, I think that's what made him the same all the time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and he just had a, from the time he was little, and, you know, it's, it's sitting here thinking while Josh is talking, like where did that stem from? And he had a unique desire from the time he was a little kid to walk closely with God, you know? And of course he grew up at a church. I don't know if you know that. But you know, Pentecostal church, yeah. yeah. Oh, really? And okay. so, from the time, oh, four years old, yeah. the family tells stories of him coming home from church and beating on the coffee table in the living room and giving a sermon, and then trying to save his friends in the neighborhood in the sandbox, telling them about Jesus. This guy had a, from the time he was very small, had just a desire to walk closely with the Lord and it was serious he was oh, a serious person oh yeah even as a very child. much so and even yeah. so much as you know his two brothers would go hunting and fishing with dad you know uh, our, our grandfather was a pretty avid outdoorsman and my dad never did it he never <laughs> wanted to go and it was hard for my grandfather at first but what he would do is he would sit back and he would read the family oh. would go on vacation my dad would be in the cabin reading and if you saw his library today, you just realized this guy was just a, you know, and, but what, what was at the core of all that was this great desire to be close to the Lord. And at some point, a connection was made with my dad that, that he had to be authentic to his core mm. for God to use, and he wanted to be used by God. And so it wasn't just it meaning things like losing his temper in the car. I remember, uh, man, I was maybe seven or eight and there was a church in Arkansas that he was preaching at and he admitted in front of the whole congregation and keep in mind, they brought him in to start a church plant. Okay. And so he's still kind of in the phases of this, our guy, is this our guy that's going to take this church plant. And he gets up and admits that the night before he was at the pharmacy, uh, getting some medication for either my mom or him. And he glanced over and there was a playboy uh, I don't know, magazine aisle or wherever it was. And he admitted to the whole church that he picked it up and he looks through some of the pictures wow. and for 30 seconds or so, and then he felt guilty. But I mean, he got up and told the entire church <laughs> about this. And that's enough to, in some places, to be like, this ain't our guy. Right. But, you right. Know, but, but people respond to that kind of truth. Yeah. And they understood he's just a man like us, you know, and what happens sometimes pastors is, you know, they put themselves in this position where, you know, I'm, I'm too high of a pedestal to admit stuff like this. Mm -hmm. I'm yeah, too right. high to be accountable 
people. So anyways, we're kind of going on with that question. But this man, yes, for at the short of it, authentic to his yeah. core. And at times he over apologized, which is not a bad thing. He right. To make sure right. that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's crazy because I actually just read that story this morning again because I was reading through Point Man. I was trying to get through it because I just got it in the mail. I got the, the newest copy. It's like I'm going to try yeah. to reread, reread this before the, you know, the interview with these guys. And I wasn't able to get through it all the way. But I just read that story this morning and I was just picturing him standing up. And saying that, and it is crazy because in the in the book, you know, he tells a, a he's a storyteller. I mean, your dad just he just always telling stories in his books. And uh, he was talking about drinking coffee the night before, and he was just you know fired up all night long and couldn't sleep. And then he runs to the pharmacy or wherever it was. And yeah, that was a, just a crazy story. Yeah, but, you know, it's 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 interesting too, guys, because your dad in so '90s men's ministry. I remember this. So we're we're similar ages. The guys at our church that I grew up in, they loved going to Promise Keepers. You know, and you, you look back on Promise Keepers now, I actually did an episode on Promise Keepers and 90s men's ministry. And I bookended the ministry with your dad's book, Point Man, and then Eldridge in 2001 wrote Wild at Heart. And two vastly different books. And your dad, compared to almost all these other guys in the 90s doing these men's ministries, I'm reading him and you're talking about his concern for the truth. And he's talking he's quoting Martin Lloyd-Jones. I mean, he's quoting Thomas Watson. He's quoting Puritans and all these other guys and weaving stories. I mean, like 90s men's ministry, all these books are just full of stories the whole way through. They're just stories, 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 stories. And here's your dad doing that with scriptural quotes all the way through it. And then Martin Lloyd-Jones, spiritual depression. And he stood out amongst all these guys up there that honestly didn't share the same concern for truth and had shown over the time that they didn't share the same concern for truth some of them anyways as he did and so i mean here he is speaking to a hundred thousand people at these you know at these uh meetings and then you know over here confessing sin and that's just uh i tell you what for for a lot of men that gets to your head i mean you speak to a hundred thousand dudes and have them all appreciate you and that that goes to your head and somehow or another your dad through god's grace he just seemed to be that consistent, you know, voice. Yeah. You know, I think he saw, he had an unusual amount of stories and I don't know what, the, maybe this is normal, but growing up and then in his early years in ministry, he saw an, an, a high amount of pastors who were popular rock star pastors for a season have cataclysmic character mistakes. Oh man. It yep. really, really did ministry devastating mistakes. I mean, that's and what finishing that's strong, what finishing strong yeah, was exactly. really, you know, yeah. point man, they've re we, you know, the re-release of point man is fantastic. And it's obviously the, it's, it speaks for itself. Uh, but finishing strong is my favorite book of my dad's mm -hmm. and finishing strong really starts off with just a series of stories of, of utter failure of men going wrong, uh, men in ministry going wrong, that no one expected to go wrong. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I think a, a big part of, a big part of what shaped my dad's behavior and character and what helped him be so consistent was he had an incredibly healthy respect for the capacity to, to, uh, to fall off yeah. or to right. become selfish, narcissistic. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so his, his commitment to truth telling was his way of staving off his own nature. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, he was very aware of, uh that finishing strong is rare mm -hmm. and so right. he, yeah. was, he was he was very consistent with doing it yeah
Yeah. Well, and kind of add on to you, I was thinking about, you know, and my dad talked to me about this and I heard him, you know, in some other forms speak about this, but as a young preacher, I mean, my dad had a gift for speaking, you know, and he, I think he sensed at a young age that, you know, he, he, he saw that gift. He saw how it moved people. He was leading a church outside of San Francisco at the age of yeah. 28, 29. And then uh, he actually stepped away from that church because he thought there's something bigger and better for me. And this is when he started going through this depression because he ended up in this little mm. nothing church. Well, first off, yeah, I made he, a big he interviewed with seven churches, seven, and they all turned him down. Wow. You know, and I think he had, uh, he had maybe done like a, uh, you know, kind of one of those go in and, and do a service. And then I don't know if that was part of his interview, but okay. the point is we all know my dad speak. We all know he was passionate. We all know he had a gift for words. Why did seven churches turn down a young dynamic preacher? And mm-hmm. why did my dad at a young end up in this little bitty church yeah. with a bunch of older people, you know? So my dad talked about Martin Lloyd Jones. He went through a spiritual depression yeah. and God humbled him at a young age. And this was vital. This was vital to my dad because he realized that, you know, he was kind of scared of his own ego. He was right. scared of wow. his own pride. So yeah, God taught him during that time that, Hey, if you're going to be lifted up and you're going to do this, it's going to be of my hand. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be of you. Yeah. Man, so that's, that's anyway, good. that always stuck with my dad, that yeah. humility that happened. Yeah. You know, so we're veering from my questions, which is always a good thing because it means the conversation's going really well. When I talked to your dad, yeah. he talked about that season. He talked about Lloyd-Jones and the book Spiritual Depression. He talked about that whole season through his 30s. And that really, you know, he said it ended up being the best thing that ever happened to me. And your dad was always talking about the providence of God, you know, the sovereignty of God. And it just seemed like that was a theme of his ministry. And when we talked, he went into that. And um, yeah. so actually this, so I'm doing a new series right now in the, in the show where I'm, I'm going through, it's a, it's a seven week series. I'm doing, a, 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 it's, it's called regulative principle pastoring, which if, if you're familiar with the term, typically that's used for the Lord's day gathering, what the scriptures regulate and prescribe. Uh, that's what we're to do uh, on Sunday morning when, the, when God's people come together. So what I'm doing is a series on pastoral ministry as prescribed by the scriptures, you know, proper uh, or a proper administration of the ordinances, prayer, ministry, of the word, and then all these other pastoral priorities I'm doing according to the scriptures. And I just quoted out of finishing strong. And it was the Howard Hendricks study, the 246 guys. And by their, by the criteria listed, you know, it's like they didn't have accountability. They failed in basic spiritual disciplines. And that's when he was talking about your dad always opening the Bible in the or your, your grandpa always opening the Bible in the morning. Uh, the, the third thing was they, they would break the Billy Graham rule, which was they would spend time with women all the time that weren't their wives. And then uh, the fourth was they didn't think it would happen to them or something like that. And, you know, I, I have observed this. I have my own criteria of what what it means to finish well. I mean, you, you, you get to formal retirement age with no hidden moral failures. You still love the local church your kids respect you and you're still making disciples. So you're, you know, your retirement didn't stop disciple making and evangelism, those sorts of things. And I know one guy, that's it. That's finished ministry. Well, and here's your dad wrote the, wrote the book, finishing strong. And he did it. I mean, 
by the grace of God, like he did it. And uh, that was impactful for me. And I see it everywhere. So, you know, wh- what do you think it was? I mean, obviously, it's God's grace, the Holy Spirit at work and all, all those sorts of things. But did your dad, he wasn't a casualty of the 246 that Finishing Strong talked about. Did he have a group of men around him walking with him? Did he have people in his grill? If, if he did, I think one of you guys said that he would always say like, you know, man, I was out of line or something like that. Or, I, I was out of line or some kind of line when he would say he was sorry. But did he have that kind of accountability and friendship? Did he have a group of guys that were around him getting in his grill if he needed them? you know, in his grill? Yeah. I mean, yes, he did. Now, you, you, what you would never find is my dad going to a, a small group on a Wednesday night, like in a local suburb connected to his church. He didn't, he wasn't an active builder of brand new relationships. My okay. dad was, uh, was uh, he, he had deep roots with a few men that okay. he trusted over a period of decades. And those guys were in other states, and they spoke at the memorial service. Yeah, One of them okay. led the memorial service, Stu Weber. Yeah. Um, uh, another was our uh, our uncle, Brian Owens. Uh, another was John Brandon, Gary our Rosberg. former executive at Apple, and uh, and Gary Rosberg. And, yeah, we, we, and we heard those stories. And my dad would make sure to tell us stories about things that, that happened in their relationships that helped him, mm. uh, you know, uh, it's, it's small stuff, but, but I remember he just mentioned to me one day that he and Gary were pulling up to a church that, that where their conference was, their joint conference that where they're about to speak. And they were in a hurry. It seems like they're always in a hurry in their stories. They're always late to everything, but <laughs> they're pulling up in the, in the rental car and they got to get in there and speak. And there's like, you know, 17 different handicap spots open in the front of the church. And my dad just whipped into one of them. And, hit, you know, throws it in the park. You got to get in there and speak. And, and Gary just said, hey, sorry, was, you can't think about what this looks like, what you're doing right now. It's small, but think about the guys in the lobby looking out the window watching you. Uh-huh. And and, uh, and so he would just give little examples of, you know, how Gary would call him out. That's such a small thing, but we know it happened on all levels. Yeah. And yes, he had those men in his life to the very last minute. And by the way, those men are close to us now. So those Man, men cool. are staying in our lives, texting me and John and, and checking in on our mom. And uh, I mean, I've had multiple conversations with Gary. Man, uh, cool. So so they haven't, you know, they're still close to us. Yeah. So, awesome. Yeah. When did yeah, you my guys... dad had a, he would... Go ahead. I'm Go sorry. Ahead. No, I'm just going to add on to the old joke of you would often, my dad had a bunch of funny things he'd say, but they're all based around him being antisocial. And, you know, he's great at talking with men and stuff, but in his private life, he really was a pretty quiet. He's an introvert. Yeah, he yeah. was. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he would joke about, oh, we're going to this community group thing tonight, me and your mom. Yeah. You know, but that I was did... actually a joke to him. He would, it's, <laughs> that's, it is a joke yeah. Yeah. because we all knew that you're not going to an HOA meeting or a community group or even a Bible study. But I think something that's hard about being a pastor sometimes, and I'm going to try to go off yeah. too much and be quick about it is that you're always the guy that people are meeting with to give them the answer, right? Mm-hmm, right. And so you're here, everybody else is here. And so, you know, for my dad, he always found himself, if we were going to a church for a while, he would fall into this position of people seeking him for advice, right? Mm-hmm. And that becomes a very hard place because what about you? What about self? That's mm-hmm. important. You need accountability. And so fortunately, he was able to find other men, pastors, you know, that were in this kind of same position and they were able to be Alicia, 
No, we're here. Okay. We're good. Yeah. And so he was able to find some close friends that were kind of in the same position and get accountability there. So, yeah, that's cool. So when did you guys realize, you kind of get your eyes open a little bit, that this is something unique that's happening? You know, you grow up and this is normal. So your dad goes and speaks to stadiums, like what big whoop, everybody, you know, that's just normal for us. But then when did it, the light bulb go off and you realize like, whoa, this is not normal. You know, God's doing something here with my dad. When did that settle in for you guys? Is that teenage years, a little bit later? Like, when did you realize this is something special that's happened here? You know, <laughs> I mean, it's for hard. You, you were younger, so yeah, you always but got... it's hard to miss it when, yeah. when, when there's a stadium buzzing and you're back behind the curtains. And I mean, the energy, the, the nervousness is palpable. Like, I mean, it's like, it's, it's like, you know, being back seen with the Rolling Stones before they go on stage. I mean, it's the intense. So, so it was obvious from an early age that, that our dad was doing crazy things mm -hmm. um and i don't know if that ever really became normal or right. ever settled in you know um yeah i, I so i i don't you know no, no, normal never was a part of that gotcha uh, and you know john and i still have to deal with um the deep uh deep elements that come from being raised in that environment and and on and, and expecting actually expecting that kind of uh performance from ourselves okay you know yeah. expecting that we need to deliver on a level of greatness and impact we need to have some sort of phenomenal impact on the world like him no matter how many times we coach ourselves that no you know remind ourselves of what he would tell us uh you need to be yourselves the lord has his own plan for you we uh, i think we both deal with kind of the 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 shadow of that greatness well wow. uh actually but, yeah yeah i don't know if that was true for you but yeah. no, that's fair and i was nine when he wrote point man and so i kind of do remember the transition when we moved to dallas and he started traveling all over the country and things started to expand pretty quickly for him but yeah i mean i guess it it was normal to us because what we knew sure yeah but I mean, to this day, even after his memorial service, I have a neighbor that lives down the street and this guy didn't realize my dad was Steve Farrar. And he's oh, like, yeah. I got his, I have his book in my office, you know, and I made a joke about signing books at the memorial service. So he's like, man, would you come sign a couple of my books for me that your dad wrote and, you know, stuff like that. But that's just what it was. We were kind of always known for our father. Yeah. And so you have to work through that to become your own a person in adulthood. And, you know, we have, but yeah, like Josh said, the bar was set pretty high. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, it's neat to see how God uses different men. And for some reason, you know, the Holy Spirit of God has a way of working through people. And, you know, it's, it's each one, you know, each way God works is unique. And, you know, the biggest impact that, that I'm going to have in my life with the Lord's help is through my family, through generations. And it's through raising my boys, my daughter, and, and then hopefully, a good man leaves an inheritance yeah. to his children's children. And so I want to live in such a way that there's family legacy, uh, which is something that you guys have and something that your dad has written on, you know, the book King me, I mentioned it earlier. Uh, I grew up with a group of men that discovered some things when their kids were teenagers. And they said, man, we wish we would have raised our sons more intentionally when they were younger. Just to, as a question of, about raised being raised in, in that home, what was it like for him raising you as men, you know, distinctly as men, 
what was it? Was it trips that he took? Was it a lot with you guys? Was it uh, intentionality just in day-to-day life? What was it like being trained as men from your dad? Well, I mean, honestly, it seems, you know, in a way, very normal. And uh, even with his passing and people coming up and talking about Point Man and King Me and these other books, like, you know, I read through Point Man and I, at times I don't understand why it's, it's been had such an impact on so many people. I know that sounds crazy, but growing up in the household, um, that was normal, hmm. you know? to hear my dad talk about these things, to see my dad do these things. And so, yeah, he was very present in our lives. And, um, you know, he would periodically take us on just, you know, father-son trips. That wasn't like a a thing that happened all the time, but he was so present in our lives. Yeah. And uh, and that includes, I mean, rebellious teenage years. Hmm. I, you know, every pastor has one wild kid. I'm the guy. You lost and, your Jeep, I heard. Uh, uh, yeah, I lost a lot, <laughs> you know, and I tested the water, waters with my father. And I think at times my dad, you know, I've said this before, he wondered, why am I the guy that's like writing the handbook on how to do this when he looked at me? Because he's like, he was at a loss. He really was at a loss with me sometimes, yeah. you know, but he loved us so much. And I know he prayed for us every day until the very end. And he was just present in our lives. You know, he was a very, you know, good example. I think of what God is. He's Mm -hmm. there. He's giving grace and there to listen and Mm -hmm. and not to push so much, not to push, but Josh, how are you going to add to that? Yeah. Um, And, you know, he, 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 I think he talked to me, John and I a lot more about leadership than he did to Rachel. I uh, love to, you know, that's probably a separate conversation for Rachel, but, but yeah, John, uh, he, 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 he trained us to be men that stepped up. That was a big part of our, of our lives. Yeah. Him showing us what that meant, uh, get, uh, calling out opportunities when it happened, whether they're sports games or stuff at school. Uh, but he turned us into little fighters. I mean, we were, I mean, he, he raised us to be bold, risk takers and um i mean probably excessively a little bit uh <laughs> but i think that that was one thing we, we, we've told this story a bunch of times so uh, i feel weird repeating it over and over but every day when he would drop us off at school um when we would get out he would make us he would do go through the same thing with us he would say boys and uh he would say uh be a leader that's it he would make mm-hmm. us turn around look him in the eye and and we would, we would roll, you know, we'd beat him to it. He'd say boys and we'd go be a leader, be a leader. <laughs> but at that, but that stuck and yeah. we knew it. And, and so, you know, later in the day when something was going down in the hallway and some kids getting picked on, I knew my job, yeah. my, my job was clear. And so, uh, so that was, that was a big part, I think, of how he shaped us as men. That's awesome. Um, yeah. And even for me, even as a 40 year old man, there are still times when a situation occurs and I don't speak up and it kills me, mm. it kills me yeah. because I know I can hear, you know, I know what's right. And my dad taught me. Right. And so anyways, yeah, that, 
Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Well, I tell you, the I put together a rites of passage uh, series built around biblical manhood. Men worship, work, protect, provide, lead, love. And I'm training my boys right now, seven-year-old, four-year-old, like boys, what do men do? And worship, work, protect, provide, lead, love. My youngest four, he, he usually forgets work. So it's always worship, protect, provide, lead, love. Like, buddy, you got to remember <laughs> the work the work part. And uh, so I'm, I'm putting this together. And some of the stuff from King Me has been helpful in me thinking through, you know, a lot of that. And so I, I, I'm really appreciative of that. And even, even hearing your guys' experience is pretty cool. Let's turn the corner a little bit. I want to talk about courage. And we're going to wrap things up just talking about courage and, and ministry. Uh, your dad was a guy that cared about the truth and didn't care, not that he was wanting to be intentionally offensive to people, but there's a big difference between being an offensive person and then the truth offending. And I'm sure that he's made that distinction yeah. before, and, and you guys understand that distinction. Um, there were times that people had asked him, don't say that. And he thought, God's word says something about this. I've got to say it. Even to the point at Promise Keepers and, and for all the great things that were happening, there's been times that pressure came upon him to stay away from that topic. You know, Steve, don't touch that. Don't go there. That's too controversial. We're, we're ecumenical here. And there's going to be some people that's going to be offended if you say this or that. And one of the stories you guys mentioned at the memorial is that he said uh, he said what he was going to say uh, and even said it harder after they said, don't say this. <laughs> and because uh, he cared about the truth and yeah. he was courageous enough. Look, could you speak to the word courage a little bit and why that's important in life, not just in ministry, but just as a Christian in general, and then specifically as men, some of the things that you just picked up from your dad about courage? Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. You, you want to jump in? On this, I have so many thoughts. I'm stalled. That's <laughs> all right. Yeah. Well, I mean, no. I mean, it's he modeled it. Honestly, my grandfather modeled it. You know, and you know, my dad told me stories about my grandfather after church. You know, having you know heated discussions in the parking lot over over certain things, and just yeah. I mean, he uh, he he taught us to be bold. You know. Mm -hmm. and, and 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 to speak up and he modeled that our whole lives and that was just kind of yeah it. yeah i mean um he was i it's it's uh he, he was uh, extremely courageous i don't know what to say uh <laughs> and it showed up in it showed up in so many uh forms in his life uh we've talked about a bunch of them already mm -hmm. uh but yeah i mean it takes it takes courage to say the hard thing. It takes courage to apologize. Uh, and it takes courage to, to stick with your outline when, mm -hmm. when, uh, when you've clearly been asked to delete part of it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it was that, 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 that did, that did seem to be part of his basic, uh, DNA though. Um, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it was, it was, yeah. you know, and, like, like we mentioned earlier, I mean, even just the courage to, you know, admit shortcomings, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes that's, you know, more of a courageous act than anything else. Yeah. Man, as I get older, isn't that like the hardest thing? But yeah, but yeah. yeah. And so he modeled that for us. And, you know, there was times where, you know, it was yeah admitting things and there's times where it was him staying in front of a you know a crowd of eighty thousand and saying something he knew wouldn't be popular yeah, yeah right but you know when you're a, a small boy looking up at that i mean 
you can do nothing but respect it, you know? But I'll say this too about my dad. And as he got older, uh, you know, he softened a little bit. It's funny if, as I look back at the, at the decades, I mean, the fiery 40 year old Steve Farrar was different at 70, mm. you know? And I, uh, I have a voicemail that I saved on my phone. That's uh, amazing. That, and I listened yeah. to it yesterday. But I'll see if I can get through this. But yeah, just missing him lately, I've gone back to it. And this voice bell is like, it's almost three minutes long. Wow. But back in 2019, and, you know, my dad raised us to be thinkers. And so that minute times me looking at scripture and challenging his theology. And mm. I don't think he necessarily expected that. But that's what he raised. He raised thinkers mm-hmm. and he, he raised boys and my sister as well, children that looked at scripture and it was okay to question. Because guess what? My dad questioned. My dad came out of the charismatic church mm-hmm. and brought his family out of that. And that was through him looking at scripture and saying, I don't think this is, this is of God right mm-hmm. here. No, not, huh? all, not all of it. Yeah. Well, yeah, not mm-hmm. all of it, but there was things he saw that he didn't th- feel that were correctly reflective of God and how he's working today. But mm-hmm. so anyways, this voicemail was about, cause me and him would get into arguments. My dad was reformed theology and a Calvinist. And I really struggled with that. And we had more conversations over the year about predestination and free will and how that all works. And so this voicemail, he was about to get on an airplane and he said, Hey, John, uh, hey, I'm about to get on an airplane and I've been thinking about this for two weeks and I want to say this. I don't think my plane's going to go down, but just in case it does, I have to say this to you. And he said, you know, I haven't handled that conversation correctly with you. You know, and he said that what you have to understand, John, is I grew up in a church and an environment that was so focused on free will hmm. that it puts such a burden on you in your own responsibility. And he said, and so John, what I think the way, and I feel like that maybe, has, maybe making men and life seem more like puppets. From well, the puppet yeah, I, mean, yeah, it, yeah. I, I swung too yeah. far the other way and made it seem like God is controlling all things. I put no emphasis on man's choice. And so he basically did what he did a lot and said, I'm sorry for that, John. Mm-hmm. And I owe you an apology. And I probably need to go back and apologize to a lot of other people too. But I'm going to try to find a better balance of that. And so, yeah, that was. Yeah. And while you're talking, I know we've been going on along. No, I that's all right. Question, but, you know, when I think about his courage, um, you know, he taught he was in the word every day. You know, it wasn't just in the morning. It was throughout the day. He, he had that luxury as a pastor. You know, he could do that. <laughs> he, it was his job. Right. But, uh, but he took that very seriously. It was so evident when he talked, he probably did this in his previous interview with you, but when you talked to my dad and it wasn't just when he was speaking to people that didn't know him very well, it was when he was talking to us, uh, he would interrupt himself constantly. 20% of what came out of my dad's mouth was quoting scripture. Hmm. So he would get through and he, he would get through trying to explain something to you, just stop and then just recite the verse. Yeah, he, that's he cool. He recited scripture all of the time. He was so and I think the older he got, the more he just talked scripture when he was talking. 
And, and so I, I think his nearness to the word of God that he believes so deeply is what made him courageous. Yeah. So, so when he's about to go up to speak and someone's saying, don't say that, he has no question in his mind what the truth is and what the Bible says. Yeah. And so uh, I think it's his nearness to the word that was the foundation of his courage. It's awesome. Well, one of the things I've encouraged my listeners with and really has been a challenge to me over the last several years is Jesus' words in Mark chapter 9. And he's talking about, you know, if anyone wants to come after me, he was late, you know, um, deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And then he says, if anybody's ashamed of me and my words, I will be ashamed of him before my father in heaven and before, before the holy angels. And in other words, Christians don't have the liberty to be embarrassed about what God has to say. And when you are firm on thus saith the Lord, here's what God has to say on whatever it is, then you have this freedom to say, you know, this is what God has to say about it. And, uh, and so I, I love that. And I, I appreciate your dad's commitment and courage to the scriptures. And let's, uh, guys, we've been going for almost an hour here. So we're going to wrap some things up. Um, and uh, my son's here at the door. We just got kittens yesterday and he's standing at the door trying to tell me something, holding his kitten right now. And uh, just a second, buddy, I'm almost done. Um, so I'm introducing a lot of these guys that are my listeners. You know, your dad, your dad, had a huge influence and as a baby boomer has a swath of 30 or 40 years where guys really uh, loved his stuff. And there's a lot of younger guys, sub 40 that aren't, aren't that familiar with your dad. And so I'm trying to introduce a lot of these guys to your dad and have been, um, do you have any word for pastors that maybe want to know about, you know, your dad, the ministry, where, where do they go to find more information? I know tell them about the website or just wherever, where's a good starting point for guys that are just interested. They're hearing this conversation and think, man, this is great. Maybe they heard your dad talk on the, yeah. on the show last year where, where can they go to find out more info and yeah yeah um i mean right now the 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 greatest place to go go to find them the majorar.com and uh his his ministry is not stopping um my mom is actually you know his my dad my mom has been his longtime editor they worked very very closely on content she's stepping in uh to uh manage this next phase of my dad's ministry which really really what it is about is preserving and promoting and curating my dad's wisdom through the years and promoting that now that he's gone. And so it's really not going to be about Steve Farrar's name, but it's going to be about the message that he conveyed. And uh, so we may be shifting over uh, his, his content over to like pointman.org okay. uh, at some point. But for the time being, stevefarrar.com is the place to go for content. And in the coming months, uh, we're going to be uh, as I said, repackaging a lot, going back through just the scores and scores of sermons over the years and honing in on key pieces of wisdom that are especially pertinent to millennials, to young, to young fathers, uh, and, and making that more accessible on the website. Um, so excited about that. Awesome. Yeah. Well, well, guys, I appreciate this. It's been a lot of fun talking with you and knowing you know, theologically where your dad was about the grace of God and the sovereignty of God and wanting all glory and praise, honor to go to God. Uh, we want to just thank, thank the Lord for all that he's done through your dad and into your life and your family's life. And uh, I think I can have, hopefully have the liberty to say this, that he would want attention to go away from him here and say, God, thank you. You get all praise, glory, and honor. And, and hopefully we can get, you know, like your dad back in our life to be able to look back and say, my goodness, look what the Lord has done. And yeah. uh, just just give him praise and honor. I mean, he's been so God has been so kind to us and 
And uh, that's been evident in, in your guys's life. And so I appreciate the conversation. Again, I know that this is, you know, still, you know, difficult, even just thinking about voicemails and, and just reflecting on memories. And so, fellas, I really appreciate the time today. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Hey, thank you so much for having us. Great talking with you. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Shepherd's Crook podcast. For more information, please go to theshepherdscrook.co.